The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. than 40% of people in their 40s and 50s have both an aging parent and a child under the age of 21. Caring for people in multiple generations demands time, love, attention, and more. Welcome to Caught Between Generations with your host, Dr. Merrill Griff. Our program will bring you the information you need as a family caregiver for everyone for whom you care, with guest experts and resources to help you keep sane and organized. Now, here is Dr. Meryl Griff. Welcome to Caught Between Generations. So glad you're joining us today. Well, the title of today's show is, Is Anybody Listening? It also could be called How to Have Critical but Uncomfortable Conversations. Now, usually all of the talk has to do with adult children trying to get their parents to listen to them. Discussions usually are centered on selling their home and moving what is con- into what is considered to be a safer environment. Issues about their own health and medical care or care of the other parent, driving, retirement, you know what the issues are. However, they're always spoken about from the perspective of, um, this is what I'm trying to get my parents to do. In the first part of our show, we're going to be discussing these types of issues from a completely different perspective. It's a perspective that has not received a lot of attention until recently. And that perspective is that of seniors talking to their adult children about what they want and what is really important to them. I am so happy to have Tim Proch with us today. He is the author of The Other Talk, A Guide to Talking with Your Adult Children About the Rest of Your Life. Tim has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and many, many other major publications. Tim was recently awarded the 2014 Health, I'm sorry, actually it should be Health, but it's Wealth. I should be thinking about not talking about money. But he was awarded the 2014 Wealth and Money Management Award in the U.S. Markets for Innovative and Strategic Thinking. I'm sorry, I'm fumbling over my words all of a sudden. But Tim, this is the most exciting and innovative work I've really read in senior care for a long time. So I am like very excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Caught Between Generations, Tim. Well, Meryl, it's great to be with you. And and, and I'm Certainly enjoy talking about this issue because it's such an important one for not only seniors but the adult children. Well, Tim, as I told you at the beginning, I usually never, ever ask anyone why they wrote a book um, because usually, you know, the answer, to be honest, is somewhat boring and it's really not very interesting. However, this is such a different perspective um, from most of the material that is available. I, I just need to ask you, what what did motivate you to write this book? Sure. Uh, actually, uh, several reasons. Um, number one, uh, for the last 15 years, I've been doing a lot of work in the uh, elder care and end-of-life uh, areas. And part of that uh, research was to do focus groups with baby boomers uh, about their relationships with their family. And 
Well, every story was different because every family is different. What I kept hearing was kind of the same refrain at the end, which is, I'll never put my kids through what just happened to me with my parents. But the sad fact is they will because AARP has done a study that shows that 75% of of parents will not talk about the issues and decisions and challenges that they as a family are going to face. On the, on the flip side, 70% of adult children will never talk to their parents about aging issues. Um, on top of that, uh, right about when I started writing the book, the Terry Schiavo case came to light. And I'm sure you're familiar with that one, but this poor woman for 15 years was yanked between her husband and her parents back and forth, back and forth, um, because nobody in our family had ever talked about what Terry wanted to do. On top of that, um, my own parents, for the la- their last five years, uh, were the same kind of people. They would never talk to us three boys about it. And it was probably the worst five years of my life, because we went through all the arguments and the misunderstandings and the, the hurt feelings and sibling rivalries and the, you know, the financial and health care crisis that could have been uh, avoided or at least reduced if we as a family had, had talked about it before the crisis happens. And that's typically what happens. Nobody talks until the crisis hits, and then your, your time frame is limited, your, your, decision, your options are limited, and your decisions are probably pretty bad. Take all so- that together, and what I realize, and you've already talked about this, but... I said there's got to be a better way. And so what I elected to do was not write the book for uh, adult children, you know, about how to take care of your, you know, drooling incompetent parents, but write the book to the parents and to say, it, take, you, take the responsibility, take the initiative to have this talk, and if you do that, we can make this into a collaboration, not a confrontation. Tim, why do you think that, you know, as primarily boomers, we hesitate having these conversations with our adult children? I mean, why do you think we ignore doing that or hesitate doing that? Well, I think it boils down to um, a few emotional barriers, if you will. And and actually, the way I set the book up was the first half is about emotional barriers and the second half is about the tactics. Because I felt like if we can't get you past the emotional barriers... You'll never get to the tactics, which is typically what happens. But those emotional barriers are, are number one, denial. Uh, denial of your physical deterioration, your, perhaps your financial decline, certainly that last sentence of your life, the end. And so the typical response is procrastination. Um, then there's role reversal. You know, this is the time when, when you, as a, as, a, as a parent, can no longer take care of your day-to-day activities and you become the child, and the child becomes the parent. Again, that's a very difficult time in the, in the, in the, in the life of this family because both the, the parent is feeling like they're losing control and the kids are feeling like, oh, my God, I've got to take more responsibility. I already have my own family, my own job. It's going to be overwhelming. So, again, procrastination. But, you know, it really, I think, boils down to of lack of control. And so what I say in the book is if you can get your family to understand that it's not you, the kids, taking control or me, the parent, losing control, it's about sharing control. If you can do that, you're well on your way to success. So 
Tim, talking about a tactic, I mean, how do you prepare yourself for the other talk? I mean, you're right. I mean, denial is is there. I mean, how many times have you know have you heard that in effect old joke of the woman you know looks in the mirror and she sees this old wrinkled face and she says like, heck, who is that? I don't recognize that woman. So it's a it's a real thing. I mean, how do you prepare yourself for this? Well, there's a couple of ways. Um, one is to um, kind of think about how you're going to approach this other talk. And I think there's, there's, there's three steps to it. One is to change the transaction, if you will. Typically, it's about, as you already described, it's the, it's the kid's intervention. They're taking away the car keys. They're taking over the finances. They're taking over the financial planning. They're moving their parents into a, a nursing home without even talking to them about it. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a difficult thing. So what we want to do is change that dynamic or that transaction from kids' intervention to parent initiative. Secondly, uh, I think you want to change the dynamic. And here I mean, it goes back to what I said earlier, it's the taking control and losing control overwhelm that with, by saying we want it to uh, share control. Um, a third one is, I think, is just changing the whole focus of this thing. Typically, people, people say to me, oh, this other talk is about dying. And I say, well, it's actually not about dying, although that is part of the rest of your life. So what I want people to focus on, families especially, is this is not about the end of life. It's about the rest of your life. And one tip that I've gotten from my readers, both families uh, as well as professionals, like financial planners and uh, um, you know, elder law attorneys and even doctors, because they have the same problem as their as the families do, they won't talk about this stuff. Is what I call a third party transaction. And in Merle, if you're my, you're the mom and I'm the kid, and you say, Tim, we got to have this conversation. Often, what happens is the the barriers go up, the competition between us begins, and we never have that talk. But if you say, Tim, why don't you have a look at this the other talk concept? And when you're done looking at that, let's you and I sit down together and talk about some of those issues. It seems to really drain a lot of the confrontation and begin to build up that collaboration. Tim, and that's really what you want to do. Tim, how do you suggest, though, people have this talk with their adult children who may not get along? And they may live in different states. I mean, should they call them all together? I mean, how do you suggest they do that? Well, I, th- I think it's critical that, th- that you do this together because if you do it one-on-one, you know, if, if I tell, uh, you know, my, my son Tom some stuff and then I call my, my daughter Sarah and tell her some stuff, neither one of them know if it's the same thing. And what you really want to do is, is create this collaboration, this, this partnership, if you will. And so, you know, I've heard people say, well, I can't get my family in the same place. Well, you know what? We've got technology to overcome that. You know, you can Skype a conference. You you could Skype a talk. You know, you could do it on the phone. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it, but I think you need to do it as a group. And if people don't get along, what you need to convince them is this is this is going to be an issue that we, the kids, are going to have to deal with. Let's let's deal with it now before the crisis hits, and the crisis will hit. So in the, in the few minutes we have before the break, what happens to people who don't have children? 
What are your suggestions for them? Yeah, well, that's an interesting question, and one I get uh, when I speak around the country, it always comes up. And, and my answer is a fairly simple one. It's, you know, if you don't have kids, what you will do as you get older is, is to develop a, you know, a support system. And it may be siblings, it may be other relatives, nieces and nephews, it may be friends, it may be your neighbors, it could be people from your church or your synagogue, but you're going to have a, a, a support system, or you should, and when you finally isolate those people who, who's going to be, who are going to be in your support system, that they need the other talk as, as much as, as the kids do. Because they're going to play the same role as the kids do, but if they don't have the information and, and you guys haven't talked about, you know, how you want things to go, your support system is going to fail just like your kids would fail. Are there any other suggestions that you have? I, I want to get back very quickly, and I know we don't have a lot of time, to the issue of ch- adult children who don't get along because I, I really think that's really a major problem for some families. Of course. You know, all the jealousies that occur. Now we're talking about, you know, power of attorneys for finance. You know, it's a, it's a difficult discussion. Do you ever recommend using a third party in those types of discussions? Well, as I said before, the third party can be, you know, could be the book. And what often happens is um, either the parent sends the book to, let's say there's three children, sends the book to each one of them and says, uh, have a look at this. Uh, you know, let's, let's, let's bring, let's come together and talk about the issues, not about the, the rivalries, not about the bad feelings, but let's talk about the issues that we as a family need to address. And I think if you do that, it can help re- reduce the confrontation even between uh, siblings. And you know, I will... They, they I will become focused on the problem and not, you know, my relationship with Susie. Right. If that, and I think that's a great suggestion. I'm going to piggyback on that a little, though, and say sometimes geriatric care managers, um, a trusted attorney maybe who's been in the family for a long time, who knows almost everyone in the family, um, every once in a while, sometimes a third party who's a little more neutral can be really helpful in this type of situation. Um, So now that we've laid the groundwork for having the other talk, um, when we return after the break, we're going to be discussing critical issues such as finances, living arrangements, and health care. We'll be right back. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities in health related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities at home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. 
Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H care.com. Do you know about Reiki? This method of healing can complement Western medicine as well as other alternative practices. Besides healing, it can have the additional effect of making you feel more positive about yourself and the world around you. By tuning into For the Love of Reiki with host Paula Vale, you'll find how Reiki can improve your health, bring balance into your life, and fill you with joy. For the Love of Reiki is broadcast live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. To Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Caught Between Generations. We've been having a really great conversation with Tim Proch, who's the author of a very exciting new book called The Other Talk, Guide to Talking with Your Adult Children About the Rest of Your Life. Tim, uh, tell us about your four facts of life. Okay, Marilla, it's, uh, as you might guess, it, it is linked to um, the talk, the one you had with your kids about sex, we hope. Uh, but it, but the, the, the issues are different, but the sense of urgency should be the same, I think. Uh, so let me just briefly go through those facts of life. One is financing your uncertain future. And this is <clears throat> unlike, um, say, laying some money aside for college where you kind of know what the, what the time frame is going to be and the costs are going to be. Um, in terms of you know, planning your, your, your future, you really don't know where the end zone is. You don't know you know, when and where and how the things are going to end, which means, and you don't know what your medical costs are going to be. But what you can do is, you know, bring your financial planners together with your family and begin to talk about what-if scenarios. Um, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? What are we going to do? And so you've already kind of talked about it before the crisis hits. I would also strongly urge that you establish a financial power of attorney and do it now. You don't have to... to uh, you know, execute it now, but at least that person will know that that will be their responsibility and make sure they want to do it, of course. Uh, the second one is um, selecting the best living arrangement. You know, 90% of people really want to, end, you, know, end, uh, you know, finish their days in, in their own home. But, of course, not we know 85% of people don't. They end up in an institution, and that's where they uh, die. I think the solution is that... Um, you know, you really go through uh, specific uh, possibilities. I mean, living in your home could be a, a great concept, but I suggest that um, you and your family really analyze what do we have to do to the house as you get older. And one technique I urge is um, what I call the wheelchair test. And you either rent or borrow a wheelchair and roll yourself around your property, roll yourself around your 
your home and begin to see what you have to do to make it work if you were, in fact, in a wheelchair. Another one, of course, is... That's a great suggestion, Tim. Actually, I've never heard that before, which I think is a great idea. Tim, can I go back to the POA for a minute, for, to sure. the power of attorney? Um, and I don't mean to, but I, I really want to go back to this because yep. it, in trying to decide who's going to be the power of attorney for health or who's going to be the power of attorney for finance, I find that families tend to, for instance, pick the oldest child, all right, or the first son, all right. right. Um, and at Sericare, we at times see across the country um, many issues that come up. So, for instance, the primary caregiver for a parent is living in the same town as the, as the family member, but the POA for finance is living somewhere else you know, a thousand miles away um, and doesn't often see what's really going on and often doesn't really understand what's going on. Um, And these create uh, many, many problems in the actual day-to-day function and being able to take care of someone. I mean, what are your suggestions for that? Well, I was was, uh, actually uh, in the position that you described. I'm the oldest son in the family, and when it became apparent that my parents uh, couldn't, take care of themselves, it was up to me to, to make it happen. And it really took a, a toll on me uh, psychologically and, and, and physically. And what I, what I started to do is try to do everything, it was, and it was impossible. So I, I brought my two brothers together and said, Here, here's, here's all the issues. We have to divide this up and do it as a group, as a team. And, and that seemed to work. Or, you know, my brother Doug took care of the medical side. I did the financial. Uh, you know, Tom did uh, the caregivers who were in the home. And it, it began to pull us together um, as a team, and it really seemed to work better. Now, what would have been much more desirable was is if we'd done this, had this conversation with my parents, because. Many of the issues that we discovered, for, for example, they had not saved all, you know, anything. So now what do we do? You know, do we come up with the money? Uh, I've, I've got you know, a couple interesting uh, solutions to that that we came up with, but we were in a panic because we had not really thought about this stuff and we were in a crisis. And that's why you want to go back you know, in time and say, okay, when you're still in good shape, parent, this is the time you should sit down and begin to talk about to people and say, would you like to be the financial power of attorney? And the other thing that I would point out is, um, you know, things change. Your health changes, your finance changes, your, your kids may, you know, take a job in, in Italy or something, you know, out of the country, and um, you need to um, prepare for that. So that I urge people not just to do this other talk once and then check, I've done it. Do it every year, because every year is different. And, it, you know, you'll, you may decide the guy in Italy can't be the power of attorney financial because he's too far away, so let's, let's switch it. Let's give it to somebody else. Because you, know, you, can, I think, you can do that if you're a team. You can't do that if you're fighting amongst yourselves. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's an interesting point. It reminds me of a family we're working with, actually, currently. There are three children, two boys, uh, two sons and a daughter, 
and I, and hadn't I really hadn't thought about it till you said it in that context. But they what they how they divide things up is because they're all living in the same city. Is they divide up the day. Um, and so one of the sons goes in the morning, the daughter goes in the afternoon, and the other son goes in the evening. Um, and then they keep a vacation schedule so they cover for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to work for them. And it has, you're right, it has drawn them together as a team. It, it makes things easier. Of course, what happens then when you've got people living in a town? That's always the problem. There, There's always one adult child who is living in town, and then the other adult children are living out of town. Um, and I guess it would help to have that discussion with them ahead of time and not wait for something exactly. to happen. Because, I mean, again, technology is, is such that, you know, just because you're a thousand miles away doesn't mean you're un, unreachable. Mm-hmm. Again, you go back to, you know, we used to use Skype because my parents are in Michigan, I'm in Chicago, one brother's in St. Louis, and one brother's in D.C., so there's nobody there. Um, but we were able to communicate by, you know, with, with technology, and, and we would talk every week on the phone or on the Skype and just kind of go through, well, what happened this week? You know, we've got a, we got a situation. And I was close enough that I, could, I, I was the person who would go up there on occasion. But, you know, we had you know, 24-7 care in their house, and uh, we're managing it from afar. And uh, I'm sure we made a lot of uh, bad mistakes, but we, we got through what I think is a, is a team. Tim, before I interrupted you and I went back to the POA, you were talking about living arrangements and you were talking about how many people want to stay and remain in their homes, but that often is not the case. Um, And they often have to move out. You were talking about a nursing home, but it it also could be an IOR and AL. Um, Could you give us some quick thoughts about that? Yeah. um, You know, that's certainly a great option. My, My grandma at age 80 decided to do it on her own, and she, I remember sitting next to her at her 92nd birthday, and she didn't know what it meant and said, Tim, I just had the best 12 years of my life. So <laughs> it can be a very positive experience. As far as the other talk goes, I think that's an opportunity, and we've done this with our own kids, uh, it's an opportunity to explore that and say, okay, what's available either in town or someplace that you want to go to, you know, it could be, you know, Arizona or Florida, um, and then let's go visit those places now. Uh, but, you know, what are, what's the personnel like? What's the food like? What's the vibe like? You know, what's the, what are the cost? I mean, you know, sometimes you, you can't afford to go do that. But at least you've made, uh, you've done your research, and you, it's not like, you know, mom just had a serious operation, and the hospital says she has to leave tomorrow by 10, and you haven't thought one minute about what, what's next. That happens a lot. So what do you do? Look on the, you look on the yellow pages? I mean, you know, you, you are, you're going to struggle. And, and you wouldn't have to go through that if you had a conversation a year ago. What about actually living with your kids, moving in with one of your children? You know, that, that's certainly a good option, a very, you know, a loving decision on, on both, you know, primarily your kids' side. But, um, you know, I think... Again, the family needs to sit down and have a, a dispassionate conversation about how that's going to work. And not so the parents don't just show up on the doorstep with their bags packed. Um, and, you, and I literally, in, my, in the book, I've got 
Uh, 14 questions that I think uh, families should go through and you know, everything from uh, what's going to happen in the kitchen, who's responsible for food, uh, uh, who's going to do the cleaning, uh, are the parents expected to do some things with the kids. I mean, those are all um, you know, issues that should be laid out because if you don't do it before they show up, then I think that you're going to have a competition that you're not going to like. Tim, this has been a great conversation, Um, and you're right. We really should sit down and have this conversation with our adult children ahead of time so that it's very clear to them what we really want and what we really need, and we get to, you're right, we get to form a team, and we tend to then share the control. Um, We only have a minute left. Will you give us your contact information and um, tell us about your book, your blog? Sure. Um, uh, the other talk, the book, can be uh, purchased on Amazon. It can also be purchased on most bookstores around the country. Uh, I have a website that you can visit and get a better idea of, of the, the whole concept and, and maybe see some of the, the uh, how others have reacted to the book. And, and that uh, website is, is uh, www.theothertalk.com. Um, you can reach me, uh, Tim Proch, at theothertalk.com. Um, uh, the other thing I would just say is, you know, this is written primarily for boomers, uh, parents, of, you know, and uh, cause I, I think that we're, the reason I selected, I think, I think this idea may be right time, right place, because I think boomers tend to be more ex- experiential. I think they tend to look uh, out two or three decades and not just next year. And I think they also look for, you know, things that are more in reality and not a fantasy. And the other reason I wrote this for the boomers is I think they're about ready to hit what I call a perfect storm. There's 77 million boomers marching into retirement. Um, They're going to need more care. They'll they'll need to care for a longer period of time than their parents. Um, And if you look at the enrollment and graduation rates of uh, primary care physicians and geriatric physicians, there's fewer and fewer every year, so you have exploding demand and declining supply. You really need a plan. Right. Even Tim, if you have great insurance, it's not good enough. Tim, you're absolutely right. Thank you so much. Um, and it's uh, Tim Prosh, and it's The Other Talk. Thank you so much. I highly recommend this book. I really do. I enjoy the well, conversation. Thank you so much. When we return, we'll be talking to Carolyn Rosenblatt, who's an RN and an attorney, and we'll be talking about senior and financial scams, identity theft, and ways to address your parents who just may be a little stubborn. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Where's your mom? What's she doing? You'd know if she was at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. You'd know she's enjoying a full day of activities programmed just for her interests, like art classes, volunteering, pet care, and card club. And she's home by dinner. And what's different is that Sarah Care actually has nursing care right there with her. So you'd know. Try one free day of care at Sarah Care. Call 330-451-6108. How's your mom? She's just fine at Sarah Care Daytime Senior Care and Activities. 
The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Call Between Generations. We've been discussing parents speaking to their adult children about their wishes and needs as they age. And now we're going to do it from the other perspective. We're going to be talking to Carolyn Rosenblatt about the perspective of the adult child who is attempting to care for and assist an aging parent. As I said, our guest is Carolyn Rosenblatt. She is a nurse and an attorney. It's an interesting combination. And together with her husband, who is a geriatric psychologist, they founded AgingParents.com and AgingInvestor.com. Carolyn blogs weekly at AgingParentsOnForbes.com and is the author of The Family Guide to Aging Parents, Answers to Your Legal, Financial, and Healthcare Questions. Um, And I will tell you that um, I often look at Carolyn Carolyn's blog, and it is an outstanding blog, so I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you for agreeing to be to joining us, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. So, Carolyn, you know, whenever there's discussions about aging parents, the common complaint seems to be, ah, oh, they're driving me crazy, you know, they're stubborn, they're difficult. I mean, do you think that's true? And, and, and if it is, why do you think that is so? I do think it's true a lot. It's certainly not universal because some parents are very cooperative, but we really hear that a lot at agingparents.com where we work with families directly about what problems they're having, and it's a common complaint. I think it's really about fear. You know, it's about the distress as we get older and we begin to lose some of the abilities that we had when we were younger. It results sometimes in in kind of a dismay. We can't lift anymore. We can't walk as far. We can't remember as well. And there is underlying all of that a real terrified sense that one might lose control over one's life. And I think that's behind a lot of the sort of stubbornness and resistance that adult children meet. So is there an approach that you recommend um, when you're running into that kind of a wall and you're getting frustrated? Well, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish, but let's take one of the most common areas of difficulty, which is trying to discuss finances with aging parents. There are a lot of parents who are sort of secretive about their money. They don't want their kids to know what they have. They don't want to discuss where it is. They don't want to reveal things like passwords, and they're really afraid that the children or someone is going to take advantage of them. And for the adult children, there's really no idea about what to do in the event that an emergency happens or when a crisis develops. 
And these things do happen, obviously. People fall, they have a stroke, they have a heart attack, they develop an illness, they have to go to the hospital. So I think one of the approaches that's successful for a lot of people is to really talk to the parents about not wanting to be a burden to their children. This is somewhat of a universal desire that many parents have, probably most. And if the adult child says, for example, Dad, you know, if you fell like Uncle Joe did last week and had to go to the hospital, I realized I don't have any way to know how to pay your mortgage or your bills. I don't know where your bank account is. This would really be a burden. And I'm sure you wouldn't want me to have to struggle with that. Could we have a conversation about that just in case something went wrong in your life? That sort of pitch sometimes is effective because the parent suddenly realizes, gee, you know, I'm mortal. I might have to go to the hospital. It was my brother who just got hospitalized or my neighbor or whoever. And it it sometimes opens the door. I think that's a great suggestion. But, Carolyn, what happens if you're in a more urgent situation um, and you think that your parent needs help more immediately, and yet I, I hear this all the time, you know, I don't want anyone in my house, I don't need anyone, I'm just fine, and they do need someone. I mean, what's your recommendation in that type of situation? Well, I think that we have to get past what I call the great American fantasy. And the great American fantasy is what I would describe as the belief that no matter how old we get, we're going to live to be 100 in perfect health, we're going to be totally competent and independent, and we're going to die peacefully in our sleep after the 100th birthday. (laughs) I think that's that's a great scenario. (laughs) People nurture this fantasy. It's, you know, the American fear of death. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to mention the word. You know, we, we say, in case anything happens to me, as if it isn't going to, you know. <laughs> so we think death is optional, so talking about it is sort of taboo. But the reality is, you know, the adult child has to address this with the parent because the crisis is happening. What's the other side of this is the legal side. We are considered competent until a court says we're not. And that's a frightening prospect. Because there are a lot of people who are not at all competent, who are running around, doing crazy things, getting money stolen from them, driving cars when they shouldn't. So it's, it's a conflict between the sort of extreme posture that the law makes us be in if someone is going to take away our independence for making decisions. What we have in the gray area in between someone having to go to court and having a judge say, sure, this person no longer is competent, they need conservatorship or whatever, um, there is the, the approach to the parent when you see them falling, you see them not being able to manage their bills, you see them being poor at functioning thing, functioning in life with the activities of daily living. We can only approach a parent and say, look, I'm worried about you. You know, the adult child has to make it the adult child's problem. For example, I have a 93-year-old mother-in-law. She has bad knees. Pretty alert, pretty competent, pretty capable for 93, but she was living alone. And for three years, I've been begging her to consider moving to where there's more help. She would not listen to this because she's so independent and she's so proud of herself and she doesn't want anybody 
to think she's a cripple and have to use a walker. That was her, <laughs> that was her response when I said, what's the problem about the walker? I don't want anyone to think I'm a cripple. She was living in Sun City. Everybody's a cripple. Okay? <laughs> there are walkers and canes and devices and everywhere. It was comical. But, but this is the fantasy people have. So finally, on her own, she decided that she was going to move closer to her daughter. Thank goodness. Because when that happened... Within a couple of months, she did have some health issues. She had to go to the hospital a number of times. There were all kinds of things going on. But, uh, you know, that just shows you people want to make that decision on their own. What can the adult child do? We can persist. We can introduce the idea. We can take them around to show them an alternative. We can offer to help them hire someone, but we cannot make them do it if they are competent. If they choose to live in a dangerous, unsafe environment, they have that right legally. So, Carolyn, let's talk about when there is a crisis. I mean, I'll give you a personal example. When my mother had a, a very dense stroke, okay, and I actually was her POA um, for finance and health. And yet things really astounded me. Like, you know, I wanted to go to the post office and get her mail. All right. Mm-hmm. And and suddenly I couldn't, you know, um, you know, I was her POA for finance and I had trouble getting, you know, control of her checking account so that I could pay some bills. I mean, it, it I just could not believe the rules that I ran into that I mm-hmm. did not anticipate. I mean, is there any yeah. way to prepare for these things? Yes, it's very shocking. But the financial services field Banks in particular, which in California are mandated reporters of elder abuse, they have overreacted, and they have set in place a lot of rules that actually contradict other laws. For example, you, as a power of attorney appointee for finances, have the right to act on behalf of the person who appointed you, your mother. That means, under the law, that you have the right to go to the bank and do whatever you need to do. You have the right to pick up mail. You have the right to open or close an account, take out money. All those things, it's spelled out. But the bank, which has freaked out over the idea that they're getting money stolen from their clients all the time, have decided, well, the power of attorney is not good enough. So you can make a case and deal with the legal department and spend however many months and money that takes, or you can be smart and say, look, Mom, I'm your power of attorney, and that's great, but in case I need to go to the bank... Let's get their form for power of attorney so that I can be on your account and I can have access should something go wrong. You need to do that with every bank and every financial institution. They all have their own power of attorney form, and they don't care about the law and the power of attorney form that you have. They will care about a trust. That they've gotten through their heads, but they have to honor someone who is a successor trustee. That's next in line to whoever your parent uh, is acting as a trustee. But <clears throat> that's a critical piece is to just double double it up. Get more than one of those documents because each place has its own set. With the post office, they're wrong and not allowing you to pick up mail. It's illegal if you have a power of attorney in your hand and you had better bring it with you. Because if you just tell them you're this, that, or the other, nobody cares. If you have a piece of paper... That's helpful. And I think when you get resistance at the front desk person, you need to move up the line of authority to the next person, the manager. Paper works. Words by themselves don't work so well when you're trying to assert authority on behalf 
of an elder who is disabled or can't be there. So, Carolyn, I think you've just saved a lot of people a lot of stress. I, I, actually, so the, the bottom line is if you're the power of attorney, take that paper with you wherever you're going because you never know when you're, when you're going to no, need put, it. Scan it. Put it on your phone. Carry it around. You know, have it with you because you're going to be dealing with, pardon the expression, a bunch of nitwits who don't get it. So you have to be ready for that, very patient, and wave the piece of paper in front of their face, you know, that, because it, it is something that's authorized by the state, and it is a legal document. It has the full force and effect of the law. You should be able to use it, and if you're not, then you need to not take no for an answer to the person who is resisting and keep going up the chain of command until you're talking to the operations manager or whoever. Oh, Carolyn, I wish I had uh, listened to you and known you uh, before my mother had her stroke. You would have saved me a lot of aggravation and flying back and forth to Florida, trying to get all these situations worked out. Yeah, it's so hard. And there's enough emotion in dealing with the fact that your parent has had a devastating health event. Then you have the aggravation and the emotional pain of trying to take care of business and somebody saying, no, you can't. It's heartbreaking. That's why I'm in business doing this, to try to help people get through that aggravation and pain and find a direction, whether it's about health care or the law or the mental problems. That's what we do here. And, you know, I'm more than happy to help anybody who's got that kind of aggravation going on because somebody's got to try to make it easier for you. It's bad enough as it is. We're talking to Carolyn Rosenblatt, uh, and when we come back, we're going to ask Carolyn, who's been so helpful to us already, um, about financial scams, uh, both those you hear about on the telephone and the television that go on. But I also want to ask her about scams by financial brokers. I read uh, one of her blogs, and I was absolutely shocked. I think you're going to want to hear this. Stay tuned. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. At Sarah Care, we provide daytime activities and health-related care for seniors who need assistance and support during the day. It is 101 activities and home by dinner. While we pride ourselves on the quality of our care, the Sarah Care Way sees beyond your loved one's needs to understand them as a unique individual. We care for individuals with chronic diseases, memory loss, stroke, Parkinson's disease, or those who may be feeling depressed and isolated. Our program is designed to encourage seniors to remain involved in activities of their choice, customized to meet their interests and abilities. Our outings include lunch at favorite restaurants and trips to the movies, concerts, or shopping at a cost that is less than five hours of in-home care. Your family member can attend one of our centers all day and be cared for by professional nurses and activity assistants. Transportation and financial assistance is available. Call 1-800-472-5544 today to learn how Sarah Care can help or visit us on the web at sarahcare.com. That's S-A-R-A-H-Care.com. Much of the time, the illnesses that people feel are simply symptoms, and they mask the root cause of what the real health problem is. You can take back control of your own health, starting with Billionaire Healthcare. This program is hosted by Ashley Black. Our program will introduce you to fascia, which is the knowledge of the living matrix. 
This bit of knowledge can bring you the health secrets that only the rich and famous have known until now. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Caught Between Generations. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Dr. Merrill at CaughtBetweenGenerations.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We've been having an extremely interesting conversation with Carolyn Rosenblatt, who is a nurse and an attorney. Um, and she blogs weekly at agingparentsonforbes.com and is the author of The Family Guide to Aging Parents, Answers to Your Legal, Financial, and Healthcare Questions. So, Carolyn, let's talk about financial uh, brokers because when I read your blog, I, as I said before the break, I was just absolutely astounded um, at the number of financial scams by brokers. It's horrifying. It's just absolutely horrifying. And I think one of the things the general public, everybody, that's all the people who listen to you, need to know is that there is a distinction among people who help you manage your money. The distinction is this. Historically, up until just now, the majority, that is about 90% of the people giving financial advice, are broker-dealers. That's a category. They have not been held to a standard where they have to do what is best for the client. They have a suitability standard. If it's sort of okay and you'll eventually make some money, they can sell it to you. By contrast, the other 10% of the industry are people with a special sort of license. They are certified financial planners registered investment advisors, with those credentials, with that after their name, they've taken a test to get it, and they are also held to a higher standard, which is that they are out to do what is best for the client, all right? doesn't mean all of them adhere to that, but we have a problem at which the president picked up on and helped push through legislation through the Department of Labor which is to make everybody dealing with retirement accounts, no matter what category you're in of those financial professionals, do what is best for the client rather than do what's best for the firm, the organization, what yields the most fees, what gives the highest commissions, and maybe we'll make some money too. So that is a sea change in the industry, and they're freaking out about it. Very controversial. Lawsuits are flying. It's, you know, one of those things. It took six years to get that legislation through. But the upshot is that all of the people dealing with a retirement account are now supposed to do what is best for the client. Well, what does that mean, really? That means that no matter who is giving you financial advice, they are moving toward the point where this law is enacted, and I forgot the exact date, uh, when it comes into being where they have to adhere. That means that they can't sell you things anymore where they can hide the fees, where they make a lot of commission out of it and don't tell you about that, or the things that are not the best product out there for your benefit. They have to stop doing things the way they used to. You know, one of the things we see... That's that's been a very serious problem. 
Well, it is a serious problem. I mean, one of the things we see at Syracare is um, families who want to get, you know, veterans help, uh, specifically aid and attendance, and they're dealing with financial people who are telling them, oh, we can help you do this and we'll do it for free. I mean, what they're really doing is selling a financial product, which is an annuity. I mean, it, it, it just drives us crazy when we see yeah. this happen. Yeah, annuities most of the time are not a good thing to buy for a senior. They are not a good thing. Why? Because they have a lower rate of return on the investment than certain other kinds of products. They have a high commission structure for the person giving it to you, and it's not free. They do take a commission. They don't give you the advice by charging you, but they take the product to you and get you to sign on the dotted line and tie up your money for many years sometimes, and those products have been under scrutiny by regulators at the federal level for years, and they still sell them. Aid and attendance is fine. You have to have a certain amount of uh, a limit on your assets that are available to you in order to qualify, but it's not necessarily better to tie your money up in an expensive annuity than it is to wait until you have used your money in a way that's best and then when you reach a certain level, then qualify for aid and attendance. It's a federal program. If you're a vet, you're going to get there. You know, you don't need to create some craziness in your financial planning just so you can buy an annuity on the belief that you're going to qualify for aid and attendance. It's not that huge of an amount to start with. It would not cover, for example, assisted living in California all by itself. So, uh, you know, it's, it's wonderful that it exists as a federal program, but it is not the solution to everyone's financial future if you're a vet. Carolyn, my last question to you is, is um, and I wish we had more time, but my last question is, how would I know that, you know, perhaps my, my mother or father needed financial assistance? I mean, what would be the clues that would, that would alert me to that, you know, that there's a problem? Well, if they need care, we don't have a good way to pay for care here, long-term care in this society. We just don't. You either have to be wealthy to the point where you can sort of self-insure and, and pay for someone who's going to charge anywhere from 15 to $30 an hour, okay? If they have a physical or, or brain condition like dementia that would necessitate supervision and care and help on a regular basis or a daily basis, that's a clue because they're going to run out of money unless they have really a lot of assets. If they're very low income, they will qualify for their state aid. In California, it's Medi-Cal. In other states, it's Medicaid. Programs vary from state to state. But for everybody in between that has more than $2,000 in the bank, there's going to be a desperate situation on hand if they need long-term care. So the fact that their physical or mental condition is such, and by mental condition I'm talking about dementia, is such that it's a pretty sure thing that they're going to require more help than they have when they live independently, that's a big tip-off. The other one is if they just don't have a lot of savings, if the cost of living is high, if they are struggling because of the income that they have being different from the expense that they have, those are all warning signs that the conversation about how you're going to handle that has to take place the sooner the better. Carolyn, thank you so much. Um, can you give us your contact information? Yes. It's Carolyn Rosenblatt, and I am at agingparents.com, 
as my website for families and those who have aging loved ones. And for those who are in the financial services field, we try to educate you about how to work with aging clients, and that's aginginvestor.com. And you can reach me at carolyn at agingparents.com or carolyn at aginginvestor.com. Carolyn, thank you so much. This has been very, very helpful. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. So for my takeaway today, I want to share a personal story with you that I think is really important. When my mother was still alive and healthy, she decided to have what Tim Proch would call the other talk with me. So this was good as she was thinking through what she wanted or do not want towards the end of her life. And one of the things she told me during this talk was that she had decided to appoint me as her POA for health. Now, this was pretty surprising because I have a brother who's eight years older than me and is also a physician. And when I asked her why, she replied that she didn't want my brother as a physician to feel conflicted and angst and making what was possibly going to be a very difficult decision regarding her medical care. So, I finally understood her feelings, but what I asked her to do was to please talk to my brother ahead of time and explain her reasons for doing what she was doing and appointing me the POA for health. What happened? She didn't do it, okay? And my mother suffered a very, very dense stroke, and it was at that point when I attempted to honor her wishes that the physician's didn't bother to ask who was the POA as they assumed it was my brother, the physician, and they didn't honor her wishes. This intervention prolonged her life, which I don't think she would have wanted. Actually, I knew that was not what she wanted. The other problem was that my brother found out that he was not the POA for health at her bedside. He was extremely hurt, as you can understand. He was devastated and thought this was an example of my mother's lack of trust in him, which was the farthest thing from her mind and was absolutely not her attention. In reality, it was just just the opposite. It took us a long time to heal as a family from that. So what I would like to emphasize with you is Tim talked to us a lot about the other talk. It's really important for everyone to clearly understand what's needed and what's wanted. And if as a parent, you don't want to leave behind a heritage of chaos and hurt, then this is not what you want. You need to have this talk ahead of time. This is Dr. Merrill. I'm urging you to do just one thing for yourself this week, as I always do. But this week, I want you to think through what everyone in your family needs in order to survive your loss with as much cohesion, love, and respect for each other as possible. Please do this for yourself. This is Dr. Merrill. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you for tuning in to Caught Between Generations with Dr. Mel Griff. Our program is live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We hope to see you here next week.